You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, this is a a part two, if you will. We looked at Psalms 1 last week, and um, this idea of um, the newness of the year and, and um, uh, of, or the fall kicking off for a lot of the rhythms that we have uh, and this page turning, um, chapters closing, a new one's opening or a season is shifting kind of thing and um, it, is, it is very much on my mind. I, uh, I, I dropped my, um, my oldest child uh, in Arkansas at school, uh, at college, and I got back yesterday so this is probably the worst idea ever that I'm up here preaching this morning. We'll have to see if I'm going to make it through this, but it was, I'll just do this once. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. I'm so proud of her. I'm so glad where she's going. And it was also awful, just like so many of you told me it would be. It was uh, tears, uh, tears of sorrow, tears of joy, all those different things. Uh, and it was, I think at the end of the day to get back and reflect, <clears throat> it was really beautiful. Um, but this idea of, uh, of, of, of seasons changing, of pages turning, and when, when that happens, and it may be, that may be a similar situation that you just had, or it might be a new job or retirement or new relationship or something like that, um, uh, two things can, can creep up. One is regret and one is worry. One is regret and one is worry. Last week, we spent a lot of time on, uh, on regret. Uh, these, are, these are two things that are, are kind of twins because they are what ifs. One's about the past, one's about the future. Regrets are, oh, what if I had just spent more time investing financially when I was younger? What if I had chosen a different path for my career? What if I had spent more time doing this? What if, what if, what if? All the regrets that we have looking back and all the worries that we have are the future what ifs. They haven't happened yet, but it's what if this were to happen, um, that would be bad, or, or, or you know, I need to be prepared to respond to that. So there, there's things that they have in common, although they are, there are some differences between the two of them. There's three things in particular that I, at least I have that they, they have in common. One is regret and worry are both futile. They don't help. We'll see Jesus say this in just a little bit, that he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life, to think back on the regret of, oh, if only I had done it different like this, doesn't do any good. To look forward with anxiety doesn't do any good. They're both futile. Second thing is that, they, that regret and worry are not for the Christian, they are for Christ. That's incredibly important to remember. My regret, my past, that is laid at the foot of the cross. That is my, all my sin, all my everything, all my regrets that I have in my past, I am not meant to bear those regrets and that guilt and that shame. Jesus Christ took it on the cross. So my, all my regret, all my everything goes to him. And then worries about the future. That's not for me either. That is for him. I cannot control the future. I am not in outside of time and overlooking the future. But God himself is. And so I don't hold the future. Jesus holds the future. And so my past, my future, my present, everything belongs to him. And then the third thing that I mentioned last week was uh, regret and worry have both the same answer. They're problems that we can come into, and they both have the same answer, which at least from this text, one of the answers is to have a Bible-saturated mind, a Bible-saturated mind to know the Word of God well, to know God's will for us, to know His plan for us, to be just saturated with His truth that He gives to us. Oftentimes we think whatever situation I have to memorize the perfect verse to bring out, and that's great, especially if you can anticipate a situation. 
But oftentimes what happens is if you know the word of God, if you're living your life with a Bible-saturated mind, it helps with regret and worry. Very simply, like if you think about, um, like I, I mentioned earlier, like in hindsight, my regrets, my mistakes, those are forgiven. And then like if you think about in, in foresight, I guess it would be, like in advance, um, if I, uh, this is what I was mentioning last week too, there are footsteps on my path, my journey, that I haven't made yet. And if I am following the word of God now, then eventually at some point in the future, I'm not gonna look back and see those as regrets for faithfully following him. So even um, having a Bible-saturated mind now, living in it now will help you walk in a way that you won't have to regret in the future. In fact, I'll show this to you in Psalm 1-1. You heard it. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And you can see it's called parallelism. It's building here a little bit. And this is the, the wicked sinners, scoffers. Those are, those are um, th that would be our lost world. You could think of it like that. And the idea is at one point it's, um, it's walking by, walk not in the counsel of the wicked, then stand and sort of take notice, and then sit. So this is the idea of um, adapting to the lifestyle of the world. And then it says, verse two, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, a lot of us as good Americans, we get the idea and go, delighting in law, delighting in more rules, delighting in restrictions, like there's a part of us as Westerners that can kind of go, ooh, I don't know if that, if that makes sense. In fact, that's probably one of the big reasons why someone who's not a Christian may not want to come to Christ is because they picture this as holy handcuffs that as soon as you give your life to Christ, now you can't do all the things that you want to do. And so it's odd. He says, I delight in the fact that you have spoken. I delight in the fact that we've got 66 books, we would now say today, that give us this guidance. And I think the easy way to think of it is um, we live in an incredibly complicated world, and the great news about the word of God is we can look at it and we can see the time-tested truths that can walk us through those different decisions that we have to make. The Bible talks about incredibly relevant thing. It talks about all sorts of relationships. It talks about friends, family. It talks about um, enemies. What do we do with our enemies? How do we forgive? How can we be forgiven? It talks about money. It talks about how do we deal with death? How do we deal with our identity? Who, who am I? Who are we? And it shows you how to deal with that. And so it is liberating to have the word of God to be able to step into these circumstances and say, I have the answer. I don't have to sit with the world to try and figure out what is it that they think and, what do I, and, and this generation thinks this and this generation thinks this. If I'm with this group, they think this, this group thinks this. And now I've got to just be malleable to what everybody says. I can say the word of God, he has spoken. And so we can live in this and have a Bible-saturated mind. Well, this week is worry, and um, worry, I have to say, it was quite a shock moving from where I was in an affluent area in Dallas to really any place in Colorado about anxiety and worry because like, the bar was set so high because it is a stressed out community where we used to live. So everybody here feels like super chill to me. So like I'm sitting here talking about this. I'm like, let's talk about anxiety. And I'm looking out like, eh, I don't know. But we'll, we'll do it anyway. Um, because it still is, it's so common in our, in our culture today. 
Billy Graham tells a story. Um, he says, one stressed out secretary told her boss, when this rush is over, they were real busy, I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown. I've earned it, I deserve it, and nobody's gonna take it from me. She was going, I get this. Stress is something that when a, when a situation comes up, it's almost, what, what else do we even know to do besides just have anxiety and worry and stress about it? Well, here's what it says in verse three. It says, um, to the person who delights in the law of the Lord, has this Bible-saturated mind, on his law he meditates day and night. It says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. That sounds like a stress-free person, doesn't it? That sounds like a strong tree that has grown over time that is right by the waters and just drawing the waters, or drawing sustenance from those waters. And the very simple picture that I want you to have today is when we know the word of God well, we can be like that strong tree. And I hate to say it, but if, if it's something that you're going, I'm just not even going to do that, then I think your life is going to be destined to just be this little, little bitty tree that's just going to blow and blow and blow in the wind of every different circumstance that comes your way. Now, I, I, I'm wrestling with a question, which is, is it possible to actually say, don't ever worry, don't have stress? And I think it is, and here's why. And some of this you probably know, is because um, really stress is just made up of like instances that could be potentially stressful and then how we respond to them. And so if you think about it, like um, you know people probably, maybe you were one of them in a circumstance, where it's two people, say, about same age and life stage, same gender, um, and in basically the exact same situation, except one of them handles it beautifully and one of them is a big stress ball the whole time. This person did something, so when that situation came along, they were able to handle it differently. And this person, they did something too, but now they're a big stress ball when that situation came along. So I, I'm thinking about this going, if, um, can we become these strong oaks so that when the seasons of life, when all this change happens, when, when life just gets us, that we have built a solid foundation, that we can be the person that goes over here? and not the person that turns into this big stress ball. And I would say, I, I think it is possible. So I wanna, I wanna show you this, um, but I think there's a concept that we've gotta get in order to understand this. The concept is intervention versus prevention. Intervention versus prevention. Here's what intervention is. Intervention says, I'm having a problem, I need someone to intervene, and I need to do something because I've already got this problem, and so intervene and fix it. Prevention says there are things that I have been doing all along that are preparing me for when I come to this problem. Which one are we really, really good at in our society today? Intervention. Something happened, I need help. We get this in, um, in ministry to kids and students all the time. My kid is broken, fix my kid. We're having an issue at home, and then as soon as you know, the, uh, things seem to get back to normal, I'll take my kid back, and we'll be over here Oh, there's another problem, I'll bring my, and it's just like intervene into the life of my kid because something has happened. So a lot of times when we deal with this, we deal with stress and worry with intervention. And the Bible talks about dealing with it by prevention. I'll give you some examples. Intervention is um, something hits that could be stressful, and what actually happens in so many situations is we are trying to 
have control over something because we're in a situation where something is uncontrollable. So I can't control what's going to happen in the future, but I can control uh, my, I, I can go and I can just eat my feelings, right? I can control that. Um, I can go and I can, I can have a sex addiction or I can, have, I can do drugs, alcohol. Like that's usually where this stuff comes from is there's something in my life I can't control and now I can control it. I can find something, excuse me, that I can have control over. This is why, I don't know if you know this, but with young women especially, there is an epidemic of cutting right now that is, there is pain in my life, there's something I'm stressed about, and so you'll see, like when we lived in Texas, we would have, like it's 1,000 degrees out, and these girls are wearing these long sleeve shirts, and we'd always wonder why, and then we started realizing that um, they, would, they would, especially with, with these girls, they would dig their nails into themselves, they would cut themselves, they would create some pain, so I have control over the pain. That's running rampant now with, with young women especially. It's not, a, it's not a, a healthy thing by any means. Some people, it's shopping. It's I don't have control over something. I'm gonna do something I can control. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy something that is going to bring me some kind of joy. Those are, inter, those are methods of intervention, but the reality is what the Bible talks about is prevention. It is building a solid foundation so that when the storms hit, we're ready for them. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. And over time, it says he's, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. All right, let me give you another text about this. And, and I'm just gonna tell you, if you're at a spot in life right now where you're going, I am a little stressed, um, Matthew chapter six is a fantastic text to just wake up in the morning and just read. So let me read it to you. Let me give you the context first. Matthew chapter six. The context is Jesus is um, doing the Sermon on the Mount. He's just taught about um, relationships, uh, which can be a stressor. He's talked about money, um, giving freely, about storing up treasures in heaven. He's talked about gratitude, which is a huge solver of stress. If you think about it, you know, you get out of college, you don't have anything, and, and, then, um, and then maybe over time you start to, oh, I start to get some things. And if, if you are not grateful for this, if this becomes just your new baseline, then if you dip, instead of just being grateful for where you once were and where you are now, now it's like, oh. What happened? I was making this much money. I had this much of a job. I had this in my life. Like, but if you were just grateful and grateful and grateful, that's a big solver of stress. And here's what it says. He says, because of all this, here's how you deal with relationships. Here's how you deal with money. Here's the attitude, oh, attitude of gratitude. I apologize. I didn't mean to say alliteration. The attitude of gratitude you're supposed to have. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he's a brilliant teacher. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And get this, are you not of more value than they? When you have a Bible-saturated mind and you just read this over and over, you'll just see different things lifted from the text. Are you not of more value than they? When you read the scriptures, you should never question, are you valued by God and loved by God? Because you are. And which of you, here it is, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, he just said, um, your worry bears no fruit in your life. 
You, you might have bought a lie that it actually does, but it actually doesn't. You can't control it. It doesn't bear fruit. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then it says, and why are you anxious about clothing? And then he, again, just points. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, look at what he hits. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? This is food, water, clothing. He says, don't worry about those things. And let's be real. Most of the stuff that can cause us anxiety in life is not these basics. Most people here, I would think, have that pretty well taken care of. It's really, am I going to run up some credit card debt? Am I going to be able to take that vacation? Am I going to be able to have this kind of life? It's usually something in addition to that. And he says, don't worry about it. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And here's what he says, verse 32. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. He's saying when you stress about these things, you're being like the world. And I think one of the things he's trying to say is we live in a world that is just, oh, it is just tight, isn't it? It is stressful right now in the world. You probably interact with people all the time that are just stressed as can be. And we have an opportunity as Christians to be different, to not live like they live. The Gentiles are chasing after all these things. Those are people apart from Christ. And here's what he says to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does he tell them to do? Constantly pursue God and his kingdom. Be reminded of who you are. Be reminded of whose you are. Be reminded that there's a bigger truth out there, the kingdom of God. That's what he just said. And he says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's saying, today could have enough trouble. Don't don't get into tomorrow as well. You're not going to be able to bear that. You're not going to be able to handle that. Give that to him. So let me just give you a couple examples here of how a Bible-saturated mind can help us with our anxiety. And you heard some of it here, some of it from the psalm. Um, I think of if you're someone who knows the word of God and money is a stressor for you, all of a sudden you start reading the scriptures and you start going over and over. You start saying, oh, this isn't mine anyway. It's God's. It's a blessing. It's a gift that he has given me. I get to steward it like Monopoly for a little bit. It's like play money. Like I get to steward it for this season that I have it. But at the end of the day, it's not mine. It's his. It, it fosters gratitude. And I'm telling you, gratitude is one of the worry killers. When we start saying how grateful we are for what God has done, we start acknowledging it. You see that throughout the scriptures. Stress comes when we look at, um, for many of us, what's happening in our country right now. And what you'll see when you read the scriptures and you have a Bible-saturated mind over and over and over, you'll be reminded that Christian politics starts with Jesus is king. That's where it starts. And you'll start to see that over and over and over. And what you start to see is that all of a sudden it starts to put the troubles of the day in context. Because you start to read about 
the Assyrians, you start to read about the Persians, you read about Babylon, you read about the Romans, you read about the Greeks, and you start to see all these different kingdoms that have risen and fallen, and you see this unstoppable, unshakable kingdom of God that's above it all, and you get a reminder over and over and over that that is the kingdom that you're a part of. Fearing death for you or for a loved one, we can remember that heaven awaits. Fearing something for our family members, you better believe that this could easily creep in with us. Dad, I'm sending my daughter off to college. It's a great reminder to me to be reminded God loves her even more than I do, which is hard to imagine. With all the questions we have, the stress that revolve around, am I enough? God gave his very son for you. Am I helpless in this moment? And you'll read the scriptures with a Bible-saturated mind over and over and over, and you'll start to believe there is a God who listens, and you can go to him in prayer, and he cares, and he loves you, and he hears. A Bible-saturated mind is the answer to regret, to worry, and it is building like that tree by the waters that just grows over time, over time, over time, over time. And so that's my encouragement to, be, to you today is to figure out what are the steps to take to have that. Some of you might be going, yes, I, that, that's me. I've been studying the Bible for years. Some people um, maybe don't know anything at all. And I want to just give you an easy way to apply this. Um, I, I, my, one of my favorite stories was uh, there was a guy who came to me and said, I think I might start going to your men's Bible study. And I said, well, that'd be great. Great group of guys. You'll love it. Come on. And he said, uh, and he asked me a question about the Bible study, and I, and I answered it, and then he asked it again, so I obviously didn't do a very good job answering it, and I realized what he asked was, what is a Bible study? He didn't know what a Bible study was. And I said, oh, okay, you don't know what a Bible study is. Well, here's what it is. A bunch of guys get together, we just walk through a passage, and I'll teach it and explain what it means, and we'll see its implications for our lives, and other people will share and, you know, things like that, but we're really just studying what God's Word says. And he goes, okay, great. He said, do I have to say anything? I said, you don't have to say anything. He said, okay, good. And then uh, he walked up, and he said, what do I need? He kind of came back and said, what do I need? And I said, nothing, just, you know, you and a Bible. And he went, hmm. And it made me think, I don't know if this guy has a Bible. And so I just I said, do you have a Bible? And he said, my wife has a Bible. I will bring my wife's Bible. She'll let me borrow it. She's not up at 7 a.m. Anyway, I'm going to bring her Bible. I'm going to come to the men's Bible study. And so it was, a, it was the next, I said, you're there Tuesday. I'm there Tuesday. It was 7 o'clock, and it was about 7.03, and I tried to start on time. It's about 3 after, and this guy still hadn't come. And so I finally just like, all right, well, we'll just start. So we're about to start. And then I hear the shuffling of footsteps behind me, and this guy walked in. And he walked in, and I turned with this big old smile on my face. And as he's walking in, you know, carrying the Bible like this, he kind of held it and kind of laughed at me because it was the pinkest Bible <laughs> I've ever seen at a men's Bible study. And he just showed it to me and just sort of, you know, gave a little laugh like that, walked over, sat down, opened up his pink Bible sat down and I said, open to whatever we were doing. And, and he's literally talking to the guys next to him going, I have no idea where, and I'm watching guys like help him along. And he was in the Bible study for several, they've moved now, but they were in the Bible study for several months. And I was just so glad to go, man, he took that first step. And for some of you, it might just be to have this Bible saturated mind feels so hard. Take your first step. I'll tell you briefly, we've got different ways that we're doing this. We've got a 90-day reading plan through the New Testament. There's nothing magical about it, but maybe it's just something that that would be a good place for you to get, to get started. We've got them right outside. Grab one of those. 
and, and just start reading the New Testament. We've got, um, you know, I'll go all the way down, like our kids. Um, do you know what our kids do on Sunday mornings? I know it's PJs and pancakes today, so we talk about fun. They are going through a curriculum called the Gospel Project that walks through the Bible. It's not just like, what are all the big fun kids stories? It walks through the Bible and shows how the entire Bible points to um, the gospel message. Like they're learning that in an age-appropriate way at a very young age. We're trying to create Bible-saturated minds even in our young people. What Aaron is doing, Pastor Aaron is doing with our, um, with our students, very similar, very intentional. Student ministries oftentimes become, let's get here and have pizza and, uh, and play a bunch of stupid games, and then I'm going to quote a verse, but hopefully you'll come back next week, and, that, and that's kind of it. And it is, it'll be a lot of fun, but it is also, it is very intentional. We want to create Bible-saturated students that they would know the Word of God. Um, they've got, uh, on Sunday mornings, they've also got an evening thing coming soon, and parents, you should have gotten something about that. Um, if you're an adult here, I want to just offer two. There's life groups. Life groups, we say, grow together and care for each other. Grow together, care for each other. We're about to start one, by the way, a young adult life group. If you know someone who might want to do that, I don't care if they go to Rockland or not, if they, if they want to be in a young adult life group, um, we would love to have them if they're looking for that kind of community. And all these things I'm telling you about, there's a table in Fellowship Hall, and I'm going to encourage you, if you need to take a baby step, I know baby steps are boring steps sometimes, but if you need to start, if you need to just go one level deeper, deeper from wherever you are, go and be a part of a life group. Pastor Paul is going to be leading a discipleship program about freedom in Christ that's going to be, have a lot of scripture in it. We have a, a class that meets right after this downstairs that goes through the text and, and really applies it. Called It's our adult ed class. We've got Bible studies. My Bible studies, I have two. They're kicking off this week. The men's uh, Tuesday at 7, the women's Wednesday at nine. Uh, my wife has a Bible study. All this is in Fellowship Hall. My wife has a Bible study for moms. There's so much going on, and it is not just um, we're just trying to get people to do programs that we throw, you know. It is we want to help you have a Bible-saturated mind so regret and worry can be minimized in your life. And I'm going to encourage you to take that next step and start this habit, because unfortunately, there's not a quick-fix habit for these things. In fact, um, F.M. Alexander says this. He says, people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. Their habits decide their futures. Orrin Crane says it like this. He says, let me look upward to the towering oak and know that it grew great and strong because it grew slowly and well. That's what Christianity is. It's Learning and knowing the word of God. And I'll, I'll tell you, if there's some here going, I kind of know the word of God pretty well. Um, great. Um, this is why I'm teaching the book of Revelation, is because it was the one I was avoiding. So I wanted to stretch myself. Next, I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to do Genesis, I think, just to go back and look at Genesis and go, okay, well, people ask questions about creation. I've gotten pretty deft at blowing them off, but I got to learn this. I got to go and I got to study this. And so I'm just going to, wherever you are, what is the next step that God might be calling to you so you can have a Bible-saturated Mind. And we remember both of these because in light of our eternal salvation, in light of the fact that heaven awaits, like picture, picture yourself there one day and all these regrets in the past, you'll be reminded, oh yeah, that was taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all the worries that we have about our future, we'll look and we'll see the perfect hands of the one who holds eternity in his hands. We live in light of what our salvation uh, has got for us. Um, I gave, oh dang it, I gave my daughter a gift. 
shouldn't have ended with this. I gave my daughter a gift. Uh, I wrote her a little card, and I said, uh, sent her a text. I said, go out, and you're, we left your car, and um, we prayed over it. It has like 250,000 miles. Like, we prayed over it. It'll get you just fine. Um, but I just said, the keys in the car, all that. And she hasn't gone out yet to get it. She's having fun doing stuff, I guess. But um, I left her a little gift, and I wrote her a card, and it was... Um, it was similar message to what I just said, which is living in light of what you know you will one day be, that this is not your home. We have an eternal home. So how do we live now in light of what we will one day be? And so before she has even taken a class, I bought her a sticker that's a Wachita Baptist University alumni sticker <laughs> telling her Live in light of who you will one day be. That's what we're called to do as believers, is remember the future that awaits us and live today in light of that.